I don't know about you, but uh, when you think of your neighbors, hopefully you don't think of the bad ones first. I think of maybe my good neighbor, Mitch, on to the, who lives to the right of us, and he puts, he's a good neighbor because he puts our yard to shame with his meticulous lawn keeping, but it raises our property value, right, of the block. And I think of uh, another good neighbor we had when we were living in Vancouver. Uh, Derek, who was basically like the volunteer security guard for the neighborhood, he would often tell me the latest activity and actions in our neighborhood. Uh, but I also think of this one particular good neighbor uh, that may, you might recognize from pop culture, Wilson, the neighbor uh, of Tim, the toolman tailor uh, from the television series Home Improvement. If you haven't seen this show, it centers on the main character, Tim, who's in the blue shirt here. And he is very excellent at helping people with their home improvement through his television show that he hosts. But he was often stuck when it came to his own relationship problems. But Wilson was Tim's neighbor, who often played this role of, of the sage that would often show up just at the right time. You never see anything but his eyes over the fence. He, was all, he offered Tim a listening ear and a wise solution for his, Tim's latest problem. Through the course of the show, we've, it turns out we find out that in Wilson's childhood, he was never allowed to talk to his neighbors because his parents were afraid of who he might be exposed to. But as an adult, he found his place of being a good neighbor to the Taylor family and to others around him. You see, when Wilson saw their need, he, he, he was there for them, and he offers, offered them help time and time again. We're in our summer lectionary series called The People of the book, where we look at how the structured reading of scripture can speak to us. In this week's lectionary readings, we heard selections of, that, of them through this service today. We read a story that Ashley uh, read for us about a conversation between, uh, about what it looks like to be a good neighbor. In Luke chapter 10, a lawyer reproaches Jesus with this question about what it means to live a good life. It turns out, though, that the lawyer isn't really interested completely in Jesus' actual answer. Instead, he's looking for validation for his upright status. With the Jewish scriptures that have formed him, he's got them memorized. And Jesus asks him, what does scripture say? And he answers them, well, love God fervently and love people wholeheartedly. And Jesus tells him, well, do this and you will live. But this doesn't satisfy the lawyer. Like any good lawyer, he's chasing down the nooks and crevices of the words. It, do, it, see, it would seem that he's looking for some loophole that would excuse him from applying this fully in all parts of his life. So he asked Jesus, Jesus the question in verse 29, who is my neighbor? He's trying to justify his actions, or rather his inactions, towards the people around him. He's trying to exclude some people by making them non-neighbors. He's trying to place boundaries of who he is to care for and love. And I wonder, I know I recognize it in myself, if this lawyer's instinct can be found in all, all of our hearts at some point, where we ask, just who is my neighbor? Who do I really have to care for? What's going on here? Now, you may or may not measure the quality of your life in terms of this relationship with the living God of Scripture, but I think all of us are here and want validation for whether our lives are worthy 
like this lawyer who comes to Jesus. We're looking for value, our value. And Jesus' answer to this lawyer's question indicates that the quality of your life, whether you experience it in all of its fullness, is reflected not only in how you love God, but in how you love your neighbor. The eternal quality of your life is reflected in how you treat someone as a neighbor. So in today's message, we're going to look at what it means to be a good neighbor. A good neighbor is one who sees, a good neighbor is one who acts, and a good neighbor is one who relates. A good neighbor sees, acts, and relates. In this parable, Jesus tells to respond to the lawyer's inquiry, the traveler, there's a traveler who's been robbed and he's left naked on the side of the road to die. He's injured. He's got no clothes on. He can't help himself. He's in need, and he's recognizably so. Well, how do we know he's not just, you know, on the side of the road and people are just ignoring him? We're told that the priest comes along that same road, and when he saw the man, these are Luke's words, he passed by on the other side. The injured traveler is in enough of a mess to be noticed, but he's in too much of a mess for this priest to bother. Next, we're told a Levite, the descendant of Aaron, would have assist, who, 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 would, who would have assisted in priestly duties, he, he too came to the same place and saw him and passed by on the other side. So we have two upright, respectable men in Jewish society who saw the man, but they didn't really see the man. They didn't see the value of that man. They didn't see the dignity of the one lying on the side of the road. They valued their priorities and, and their schedule, their s sense of uprightness more than the value of this human being who was in need and had been taken advantage of. With their response, they had essentially said, this man is not a neighbor worthy of my time. Now, America's history is scattered with this movement of othering people. Whether it's entire populations we've deemed as savages because they happen to live on the land that we want to occupy, or we've othered entire people groups who were forcibly removed from their homeland, jammed into ships with a 60% survival rate. And African slaves were brought to do work that Americans didn't want to do, but benefited from economically for generations. America's sordid history of othering people isn't just relegated to the distant past. It's ha it can be happening of, for immigrants arriving on our borders, fleeing persecution or unsafe conditions. Parts of America, too, sees them. They see them as threats to some I ideal, idealized way of life. Now, I'm not advocating for a particular policy because it's above my pay grade. But what I am for, and what I think what we can be for, is treating everyone with value and dignity because they are fellow humans, regardless of where they come from, or what kind of language they speak, or what kind of backstory they have, or the kind of choices that they make in their lives. To be a good neighbor, we must first see people as people. To be a good neighbor, we start with the assumption that everyone that, that crosses my path can be my neighbor because they are a fellow human being. Rather than try to determine who is worthy of being my neighbor and who is not worthy of being my neighbor, as this lawyer tries to do with Jesus. To love our neighbor doesn't mean that we automatically open up our homes and wallets and our lives to everyone we meet. 
But to love our neighbor is to first see the inherent value of a person and treat them as a person. We say with our words and with our actions, I see you, rather than cross over to the other side of the road. Sometimes we cross over to the other side of the road by not making eye contact with somebody when we see them. Or we cross over to the other side of the road by overscheduling ourselves so we have no margin for being a neighbor to someone along the way. Out of sight, out of mind. Sometimes we may not have to pass by the road physically, uh, the other side of the road physically, but we pass by on the other side by writing laws and guidelines and policies that effectively say this is not a neighbor worth seeing. We might do that in our homeowner associations. This is not a neighbor worth valuing. We can also pass by on the other side by moving to the right kinds of subdivisions or neighborhoods that keep certain kinds of neighbors that we don't want to see out of sight and out of mind. The good news of the Christian story is that God acts as the first good neighbor. He steps towards humanity, seeing our inherent worth, despite our hang-ups, despite our mess-ups. He moves into the neighborhood by becoming one of us in Jesus Christ, embracing our world, yet losing nothing of his character and value. But more than seeing a world in need, God takes action, as we'll see in a moment. First, let's go back to the story. As the priest and the Levite see and pass this injured traveler, we find that it's a Samaritan who sees this man in need, and he takes action. He responds differently. In fact, he doesn't just take one action. He takes action after action after action after action. If you look at verse 34 and 35, you'll see that Luke tells us, rather than cross to the other side of the road, Jesus tells us that the, the Samaritan came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put a man, the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out, so he stayed with him that night, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, look after him. Now, you'd have to be, have a Jewish ear to understand how completely unexpected or even offensive it would be for Jesus to have a Samaritan be the one who pauses to help. In a culture where ethnic purity was essential to the Jewish identity, Samaritans were half-breed Jews. Being a Samaritan was worse than being a non-Jew, a Gentile. And for a Samaritan to offer help to who we suppose is probably a Jew, after being passed by other Jews, would be incredibly shameful to the Jews who are listening to Jesus teach. It's culturally inappropriate. But Jesus is making a point here. He's saying that loving your neighbor involves showing care and compassion even to those you would normally not have a relationship with, even with those that you might even disagree with. Being a good neighbor is acting sacrificially towards those who would otherwise be othered by your tribe or by culture at large. This lawyer who has sought validation from Jesus for his uprightness finds that his question is upended. He wanted to know which neighbors were worthy of his care and love. But Jesus doesn't answer that question. Instead, Jesus answers the question of how to be a good neighbor. Jesus' response simply directs 
this lawyer to simply be a good neighbor. The lawyer's question is just a continuation of Israel's storyline. His attitude reflects Israel's own attitude throughout its history. The Jewish people were called to, uh, as God's people to live under God's rule and to show the world what it looked like to live under his rule. They were meant to live under his leadership in a way that would help all people flourish, that they as a nation would be a blessing to nations around them. They would be a good neighboring nation. Instead, they had rejected God and his leadership, and they took their position and privilege to take advantage of others. We hear this injustice in this Psalm 82 from this week's lectionary reading. The psalmist Asaph laments how the gods, in this case, little, little, little g gods, which was referring to leaders, earthly rulers and leaders, that they knew nothing, they understood nothing, and walk about in darkness. They don't see the living God, and they don't see how their actions are dehumanizing to others. Verse 2 to 4 says, How long will you defend the unjust? This is Asaph saying to God, because it doesn't look like this injustice is changing. How long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. The psalm is a lament, but also an invitation for God's people, uh, for God's judgment to come against those who rule and lead in ways that disempower people rather than lift them up. Though we didn't read the Amos reading as part of our week's lectionary readings, I invite you to read through this challenging book in the coming weeks. Amos was a prophet to Israel 800 years before Jesus. And they were wondering when God would come and bring justice to Israel against their enemies. Israel, like the lawyer who comes to Jesus, is looking for validation and justification. But God instead comes to them and indicts them for their failure to live as the people of God. Rather than enjoying favored status, they would be held even more accountable than their neighbors because of how they treated one another over and over and over throughout Amos and throughout the other prophets. We see how God indicts Israel for the way they act towards the poor and the vulnerable. They are stepping on the poor and the vulnerable for their own gain. We're going to unpack this a little bit more uh, detail next week. But the point is that they had decided who was their neighbor that was worthy of their compassion and care, rather than simply being a good neighbor to those around them. They failed to act as a good neighbor, especially towards the poor and the vulnerable among them. So what does this mean for us? At a very basic level, we, we do choose our neighbors to some degree by the neighborhood we move into, or the kind of job that we take, or the roommates that we choose to have or even the particular seat you choose to sit on in the metro. That's just a part of life. But we can also choose who we can be a good neighbor to. And often our instinct is to be like the lawyer, to look at who we can exclude from neighboring because of our schedule, because of our priorities, maybe even because of our selfishness and insecurity. Yet Jesus invites us to see every person as a person. We can see them and act in kindness and mercy towards those God places in our path. Last week, we were doing a shopping run at the local Aldi. And on this particular Sunday, there was a gentleman who walked up outside before we walked in, 
and uh, shook my hand, introduced himself, and he began to tell the story. And my instinct was to kindly say, sorry, I'm, I, I can't help you right now, and with a smile, and move on. But I decided this time to pause and listen. What was going to be his ask? Well, he went out and explained that he was homeless, and he was hungry, and he needed some money. And in those few seconds, I thought to myself, you know, you're quickly processing, how can I bless this man in need, Lord? What do you want me to do right now at this moment? Well, I told him that I can't give you any money right now, mostly because I don't carry cash anymore. And he was very wise, and he suggested, well, you can do cash withdrawal when you make a purchase. <laughs> Got to give him credit. And so, uh, and I said, well, sorry, I'm not going to do that. Uh, what do you need? And, and he said, I'll buy you some groceries. And so he said, well, can I come in with you? And I said, no, no I'll buy it for you, and I'll bring it for you. And so he gave me a, a, a quick list, and I, I, we did our shopping and came back to him and uh, gave him enough food for a couple of meals. We proceeded to load up our car and you know, went our separate ways, and he headed down towards the sidewalk. And, and part of me was like, oh, he's going to continue doing what he's doing. But he actually was walking home, and we made eye contact again, and we greeted each other and, you know, and prayed a simple prayer of blessing for him in my heart. See, in that hustle and the bustle of our days, there are many moments for us to see someone and pass by on the other side. But to be, just be a good neighbor, we are being open to the work of God's Spirit and His leading to, to others to bless them, rather than shutting out possibilities because we're too busy or we're too into our world to pay attention to what's going on around us. Now, we can be led to people on the street, and that's one way to be a good neighbor, or your neighbor, physical neighbors that live beside you. Another way to be a good neighbor is perhaps to carry the burdens of one another, as Jerry reminded us in last week's message. We can be a global neighbor as well to vulnerable and needy in places for people groups, uh, for people groups abroad or, or closer to home, like on our south or southern border. Yes, there has been an increase in volume of, as, uh, of asylum seekers because of economic or safety reasons. But let's look at how we can treat people as people, not simply as objects to tolerate. Let's see how we can address these, these push factors in their home countries that have been a result of our policies and foreign aid, not simply just put up walls to, for the pull factors within our borders. These are all ways for us to just be good neighbors towards those around us. At the heart of this question of who is my neighbor that the lawyer poses is a posture of, of, of antagonism sometimes, rather than of grace and of generosity. This antagonistic, just who is my neighbor, attitude is all too evident in our current pop culture and, and politics, where battle lines are drawn over 140-character tweets. Makoto Fujimura is an accomplished Christian artist and writer, and he reflects on this culture war that easily takes place in our world that is so antithetical to being good neighbors, even with people that you should agree with. He says this, Culture care is an act of generosity to our neighbors and culture. Culture care is to see our world not as a battle zone in which we are all vying for limited resources, but to see the world of abundant possibilities and promise. What Fujimura is talking about is the set of sensibilities and this disposition that is fundamentally different from what we see played out on media by our leaders. The sensibilities and dispositions that Fujimura is describing are characterized by this commitment to grace, to beauty, to creativity, not antipathy and 
disdain and this pulsating anger. It's the difference between an open hand and this mailed fist that we can wield. In other words, it's about being a good neighbor that sees others as fellow humans in need and acting in ways that helps and seeks understanding rather than ways to cut people off. And this leads us to the final movement. To be a good neighbor ultimately is to seek a relationship. Now it's easy to miss, this, miss it in this parable of the Good Samaritan, but if you read verse 35 carefully, you'll see that the Samaritan man doesn't just do acts of generosity and care by helping this injured traveler. He says to the, the innkeeper, look after him, and when I return. And when I return. He's already stayed the night with him, and he's going to come back. He easily could have just dropped off sufficient funds and went on his way. But I don't think he was only returning just to pay the bill. I think he was returning to see how this injured man fared in his recovery. He not only sees the injured traveler as a fellow human in need, he not only acts mercifully and generously, but he sought a relationship. A good neighbor relates. To be good neighbors, we too can follow the Samaritan's example. Like a, uh, live as a good neighbor with the possibility of deepening relationship with everyone that you meet. Of course, this doesn't mean that everyone's going to be your closest bud, but being a good neighbor keeps this door open to relationship, even if that neighbor is someone very different from you or who, who, or who holds different views from your own. We're trying to live that out in our neighborhood. I mean, we're, as we've moved in this past year, we're meeting lots of people, so we have a limited, I think we have a limited capacity for new relationships. But I'm saying, for all the different neighbors that we've been meeting, say, God, how do, these, some of people are different, some people are easy to connect with because we can tell that they, there's maybe come, we share more in common. But I'm, I'm also saying, God, there's, there's people here that I normally wouldn't cross paths with. How can I be generous towards them? How can I invite them for a meal? And so we begin to do that. We just schedule that in, maybe once a month, to do that and to reach out to our neighbors. Now, you may be following along and find yourselves agreeing with this idea, but the practice of it is really hard. Where do we get this resource to see and to act and to relate as a good neighbor? If you have kids or close friends, you might be thinking, you barely have enough time to see and act and relate with them, let alone with people you don't know. Simply come back to the commandments that Jesus or the lawyer responded to Jesus' question with. Love God wholeheartedly and love people fervently. Our ability to love others, especially those who are different from us, comes from cultivating our love for God. Drew Hart is a Christian activist, author, and speaker. And he says the following about how our love for God deepens our capacity to love others. I think there's a, it'll come up in the quote here. Is there a picture of him? Yes, yeah, it is. If you cultivate a genuine love for God that creates, that created and loves each one, each every, <laughs> if you cultivate a genuine love for God that created and loves each and every person, you will be on your own journey of opening yourself up to love your neighbor well, especially those most violated and vulnerable. One thing that still remains true, you can't love God and hate people. We see this kind of relationship 
most clearly in Jesus' own self-giving love on the cross. Out of his love for God the Father, Jesus demonstrates love for all humanity. We find that we might be like the injured traveler. Sometimes we might be like the Samaritan. But really, we're like the injured traveler on the side of the road. We're unable to fix our own problems of sin and shame and brokenness. Yet Jesus sees us as we are. He doesn't pass by the other side and ignore us. Instead, he comes to us. He bears our burden. He pays the price at great cost to himself. And he returns over and over and over again, seeking relationship with each one of us. I don't know where you are at with Jesus or with God. And maybe this call to be a good neighbor is something that you want to begin doing. I invite you to to come to God and say, how can I know your love more, that I might love others well? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you see us and you act compassionately and mercifully towards us. And you seek a relationship, a deep, life-giving relationship that binds up our wounds, but also strengthens us for the journey ahead. So whatever we come with today, God, we ask that we would know your love in a deeper way, that we would have this capacity to love neighbors well, that we don't have to ask just who is my neighbor, God, like this lawyer, but to consistently offer ourselves to be good neighbors to everyone that we meet that others would see that blessing and come to know the depths of your love for them through our actions and through our words and through the way that we relate to others. Bless us, God, that you might be glorified in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.